Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. In this podcast, I'm talking with Dan Simmons of Propelia about how he helps company founders and CEOs navigate through new challenges, let's call them disruptors, that conspire to upset the status quo of their business. Over the last 20 years, Dan's helped many startups and scale-ups strategically leverage their thinking, their brand and their intellectual property to disrupt new market sectors. He's a recognized thought leader in how disruption can be repositioned from a creative, strategic, and a planning point of view. Now, there's always been disruption in business. It was pretty hard for scribes when Gutenberg invented the printing press about 600 years ago, and perhaps even worse for carriage makers when Ford brought in the Model T. But now everyone can agree that things have never been changing as fast as they are now. But what's that got to do with international expansion, you might ask? Well, setting up an operation abroad or simply starting to export to other countries is disruptive in itself. Businesses inevitably need to make some changes just to make the most of their new international opportunity. And it's perhaps an ideal time to take a new hard look at one's entire business model. So how do you go about that? Well, Dern's invented whole new approaches to what he terms the almost now. Basically, that means rethinking business in an innovative and efficient way. Branded Propelia's methodologies as flight path and airspace for reasons you'll understand when you listen to our conversation. I've worked with good businesses that failed to change and as a result, simply faded and failed. I've met consultants who charge top dollar, but only tell you what you already know, or worse, leave you thinking that they know a great deal less than you do. This process from Propelia strikes me as really different, and I believe it can usefully be considered by every type of business that wants to survive and grow regardless of their global ambitions. I'm sure you'll find my conversation with Dan great food for thought. So, Dan, welcome to the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. Tell us all about Propelia. Well, firstly, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Um, Propelia was set up in 2012 to basically be the first accelerator that helped founders looking to disrupt a sector. At the time, we were quite develop their thought leadership, develop the thinking and the IP within that thinking based on their journey into a space, a market space, that they could then use to leverage and become pivotal to a new market space. More and more founders are finding that their own personal journey and their own the patterns of curiosity around that journey are becoming more and more important in their effort to be authentic um, have integrity, but also the media in, in a disruptive space, say like FinTech, they look for someone like Tom at Monzo to be almost the avatar for the whole space. So if you can acquire, be the primary person or the secondary person that they look to as a founder in a disrupted space, that's very valuable. 
So we sort of decided to be the first accelerator at the time. It was more a response to kind of TED thinking, people who were standing mm-hmm. on stages, um, telling interesting personal stories. I think we forget how strange a thing TED was, that you know, it's a very American idea of standing up on stage and giving your own personal point of view based on your own journey. That's quite odd. We've, it's just become normalized. But initially it was to sort of help that level of, of thinker develop their thinking further and commercialize that thinking. But it's, it's over the last six and a half years, it's narrowed and focused to being really um, uh, distilled around helping founders of startups um, who want to disrupt their sector and be pivotal to their sector, use their journey to do so. Um, and then more recently, we've realized that if 90% of startups fail, which just seems to be the case, then the 10% that don't fail have done something really difficult. And they generally have got themselves to a space where all stakeholders from the founders to the people working there, the customers and, and the investors, they think there's an opportunity to scale up. And they don't, and that's a whole different set of criteria and resources. So we've created a new product for those startups to get that point so they can scale up. So is this, um, you'll probably hate me for caught using the phrase, but is this something like um, business psychiatry where you're actually helping the founders find solutions for themselves or are you actually uh, effectively doing the research and coming up with the ideas yourself or with your team? It's. Um, it, it, uh, I do actually have to qualify at the beginning of what we call them sessions that we engage with our processes works over an iterative sequence of sessions that's, that's looking at different aspects of that founder and I have to qualify up front that it's not therapy and I'm not a therapist because it can feel like that <laughs> and I want to put that right. disclaimer in but no with the magic of the process the process that we've been using today 70 founders from fintech to prop tech to health tech of people in bio fashion to philosophers we've found consistently it's called it's called flight path and it's called flight path because if you think of a flight path of a plane you can see where it's been and you can also then from where it's been extrapolate where it could go and it can't go everywhere it can go in a number of permutations mm-hmm. and what we found that no one was looking backwards so if everyone would come to a founder and look forwards and where they would but no one was looking backwards so the process looks at all of the data in the journey and how that correlates and, and, and the patterns and the risks and the consistent places that they've orbited around and also the mistakes. It's been a lot of time on kind of the mistakes and things that don't work because that tells you a lot of information. And so that does feel like when you look back and the skill, we call it navigation, is to show the founder that what they might have thought of over a five-year to ten-year period, generally about five years, has all these patterns in it. It can be quite emotional for them when they realize that, but it's an emotional that then has this resonance that they feel like they're genuinely engaged in something with authority and integrity. And that, 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 as I said, is becoming a a real currency in startups. Startups that don't have that, founders that don't have that, are increasingly found out very quickly because when it gets tough, they they get out of there and and they don't have a story to tell. So it can feel emotional. Um, I have what I've been called, uh, it's called, be called voodoo. Um, I, uh, lots of strange terms have been used because it is quite weird when it works, but you're not really, I don't research a space before I go into it. I, do, I get the minimal, just trying to find the minimal amount so I understand what I'm talking about broadly. And then I, it's all about what the founder brings and you're really helping. So it's quite unusual. And once you've found that, which we can generally do within two sessions, of two hours using simple tools, then you've got somewhere really rich to exploit and explore. And so essentially then you're looking for uh, using the lessons of the past to learn new ways forward that can help that business succeed in the future and it's 
um, so-called disrupted space. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I see. I don't think all disruptors are created equal. I, I don't. I oh, think sure. you. I think that you have to have a. You you earn the right to. to you, you can obviously you can obviously stimulate disruption in many things, but if you're going to really do it, and I think more particularly like millennial customers, they smell this. Right? They smell when there's something there. They smell when there's something real, and they smell when it's artificial. If you look at all the new brands that are replacing old brands, it's because they have that feeling. And the millennial, sure. I know there's a lot of nonsense about millennials that we've, we've spoken about it. I know most of it is nonsense. There's a few things that aren't nonsense. And I think they genuinely relate. They have an empathy towards that kind of, that kind of brand. And you don't get that without the founder or founders ha having that journey. So that's why it's become more interesting and more valuable, I think. Right. Um, and we talk about disruption a lot here. And, you know, the founders of startup businesses, new businesses, are disruptors in their own right, but they're also facing disruption of, from others going on around them. So I guess it's trying to navigate through there, is it? Yeah, I think that, again, it's an overused word. I mean, what yes. I, 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 the most useful, I've, I've rethought uh, Propelio, my own orientation around disruption, and there's actually there's a diagram on the website about this, which is if you think of disruption as an event, not an outcome, it becomes very different. So if you're a business um, and you're a founder of that business, if you assume that there will be a disruptive event at some time, you don't know what that is yet, but it, you assume it will come and you're constantly a, a, a vigilant as to what that will be, then you will also assume that you will have to respond to that event in some way. And that, that the response probably isn't linear. The response is probably has multiple options that you could explore. And to me, that's a new type of leader. That's a new type of way. It's where you almost make disruption the servant of your business, where you're, where you're using it. You assume it's going to happen, so you're not suddenly scared of it. And then you can leverage it. Um, and, and then we've started to call um, those types of leaders who can think like that, because it's quite an unusual counterintuitive way to think, to, to sort of welcome disruption and encourage it as an event um, that you then have to respond to, but it doesn't then spit out Right, A leads to B leads to C. It's suddenly this, there's all these options that you could exploit. So we call those people who can think like that propellers. That there's a particular right. kind of founder who's made of diff different kinds, of, who's very comfortable in that kind of uncertainty and multiple options and non-linear paths and isn't scared, is using, making disruption servient to where they want to go rather than I think a founder, again, that isn't right is only doing it to exploit you know, a, a potential upside of, 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 of certain market conditions, isn't going to have that force. They aren't, they, aren't, they aren't thinking in that way. So there's this other kind of non-linear approach. So I that's what I look for in it when I think about it. I think a lot, a lot of disruption is noise, but it's definitely the term. There's no doubt that's the term. It's shifted from innovation. When Propelia started, it was transformative innovation or game changer. It's now... But you could, if you, if you, the, the right founders are behaving differently around disruption, and the wrong leadership, as we see everywhere, can't handle that. They are paralysed by that way of being. Right. Yeah. So bringing it back to this, uh, this podcast series is primarily about international expansion. Yeah. And some of our listeners must be thinking we've gone off on a tangent here. <laughs> um, but I don't believe we really have because I see that 
businesses thinking of international expansion and looking at um, going to a new country, maybe to their first international country, maybe to other ones, maybe additional ones. Every time that they do an international expansion event, that event is one of those you know disruptive, game-changing yep. events. Yep. And it strikes me that that's something that many founders struggle with planning because they initially may start from the perspective of, oh, well, we just continue our business as it is and we sell something to another country. Yeah. And it's never quite that simple. Well, I think there's, a, there's, there's another tag that links into that, which you may have come across in the series, which is this idea of conscious capitalism, mm. which links to, to the international expansion piece. And that is more founders, I've only seen this in the last quarter or so, are starting to be aware that all money is not the same money and they want to take the right money from the right people. And I think that's aligned to that people asking the right founders, again, these propellers are thinking in a different way. They're going, is, what, what is it fundamentally that I'm trying to achieve? And I think that that, that that links to a better question around expansion. If I'm trying to achieve a result, say, on a health product to re- reduce malaria by... 30% within 10 years, make a really, then I have to be thinking internationally. If I'm not, then I'm in the wrong, I'm doing the wrong thing to solve that problem. If I'm trying to solve a hyper-local problem around buses in London, and I do know someone who's doing that, um, then, that then, it, then, then international expansion might be a distraction. But I think there's this, what we've realized is there is this moment where startups have to become scale-ups. They are, there is a moment of inflection, 90% of them won't get there, where that, that 10% have to start asking themselves different questions to scale. And international expansion has to be one of those questions. It has to be on the table as either, you have to consider it even if you reject it. Right, and I, when I talk to businesses, I, in fact, that I, I think you probably agree from the perspective I take on it, my philosophy when it comes to talking. It's not the international expansion is not something you do because you want to go internationally. It's something. It's grasping an opportunity to increase the value of your business. Exactly. And you might that valuation increase might come from selling more product or service to another country, but it might equally come from um, taking advantage of the resources available in another country, yep. um, whether that be labor materials um, or manufacturing capability. And it may enable you to do something you can't otherwise do as long as you stay insular within a single place. So the end result is growing value and businesses don't always go on thinking about that. They just grasp the idea, we're going to expand to the USA or we're going Mm. to expand to Germany or to whichever country it might be. Um, And they just look at it purely from the, you know, we're going to this country perspective without thinking, why are we going to this country? Yeah, I think I think that at the moment there's no subtlety. You're right. That that generally startup will think about international expansion as being a unicorn, right? We're going to be if if you're going to be a unicorn, you have to be everywhere. You have to be if you're going to be a Uber, you have to be in multiple markets. If you're going to be an Airbnb, you know you're going to list. But I think that's a crude way of understanding it. And I think there is this, uh, like exactly as you said, there are when you hit this this inflection, this this scale up moment. And you're, you know, the board knows this, and the investors know this. It has to be one of the things that you're, you know, you're looking at multiple things of how, what, what, what propels that scale up. What, what is, 
And as you said, it, it could be resources, it could be insight, it could be acquisition, it could be all of the, And some of those things may be totally answered within your own, you know, locale. But obviously, they're, 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 lots of them could, could occur internationally. And I, I would imagine that the majority of founders that I've worked with or spoken to don't know how to do that. They, they I'll say again, uh, the, the majority of founders that, that I have worked with don't know how to think like that. I, I can't think of a conversation over the last six and a half years where that's been, that question has been properly tabled and properly looked at and properly addressed, which is quite amazing when you think about it because... Yes, it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's particularly in the political climate we find ourselves in, to not be thinking like that. Mm. It, it seems, seems strange, actually. There's another significant aspect of international expansion that I see has this sort of game-changing, disruptive effect, and that's actually when businesses come in the reverse direction, and especially seems to apply to startups or relatively recent startups. So I've been working myself with startups in the fintech and health tech sectors, um, where businesses have been tempted to perfect their product in their own country mm. and whilst they've actually been doing that um, another business in another country has had a very similar idea um, maybe not identical but addressing the same overall business need mm. have created their own product and they aim to expand internationally sooner than the domestic product so for example mm. If we're thinking of UK companies here, we find a company from the USA producing maybe a slightly inferior mousetrap, but they come into the UK with lots of money behind them. The product looks like it addresses the same need. And the company here, the startup company here, suddenly finds their space invaded um, and their market invaded by a better funded company that may be offering an inferior product but has more marketing. Is that the sort of market area that you could see Propelia um, helping with that sort of thought disruption? Um, definitely. I, def I think that's hugely interesting. Um, I, I think that, that the idea of something from externally, you know, you've been, you've been beavering away for three, four years and something's coming along that you haven't got line of sight of that could eat your breakfast tomorrow should worry a lot of people, Absolutely. particularly if they're capital, capitally, um, you know, have enough sufficient capital to run a longer race and to, to throw out yeah that that's i would think that's an incredibly interesting area for startups to consider to be aware of and then if once as soon as you're aware of that what do you do it comes back to that thing about so the new product that we've launched called airspace is is literally about what do you do when you've reached that inflection point and it's a sort of you know within a quarter to be able to rapidly and agilely look a, look at all aspects of how you respond to scale up situations, mm -hmm. um, and what we're trying to do around those people who kind of establish and define that is then bring propellers around like these experts around them rapidly, almost like a floating board or a floating non exec team that assembles to help them really work out what are the things that we should be launching to in response. And I think that is definitely one of the considerations. I mean, if you look on a macro scale, you can see Spotify as a, as a real uh, emblematic of that. You know, that came out of Scandinavia. Indeed, yes. Had no track record. I mean, they found that had done a few things in the, in the like Pirate Bay, but from nowhere, there is no reason why Spotify should own the music business. But it does. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the record labels are invested in it and they have certain leverage, but that's about to float for a much more than the whole, I think, I think it's about 30, 40 billion or something like that, which is, Jesus. 
and it's and it, and to its credit, it's helped innovate it. But essentially, what you're talking about is about a streaming company. That's not that you know. It's about a company oh. with a you know database streaming. It's, it's it's done very well. But you know, you're, you're, there would have been executives sitting in London, New York, probably in it, who would have not seen that coming. Uh-huh. And should own that platform, and 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 so you've got that. But I'm, you, I know you're talking about a smaller scale, not necessarily. I, but it's a good example. It's a bigger scale, but that you could almost do like um, I don't know how I don't know how startups here. You know, how do you get them to even think like that? They're not thinking like that. Well, no. One of the problems I see with startup, and I've seen it a lot as an angel investor of sorts in companies, is that um, there are a lot of startup companies that have certainly brilliant ideas, um, but they become fixated on their original brilliant idea, yeah. and it takes maybe a year, eighteen months, two years to develop into a prototype. Yeah. And they are blinkered. They won't think. They won't stop to think that they might actually be wrong, or they might actually have to change. And they don't necessarily have to throw away everything they've done. But um, things move so quickly yeah. that very often what they've already started working on um, is, you know, would have been a brilliant product had it been ready on the day they thought about it. But three years later is actually going to be potentially eclipsed by competition. I suspect there's a lot of one reason why a lot of startups fail, a lot of those 90% um, simply fail because um, they don't get the product to market first or yeah. on a high enough quality basis or they don't, they're not open to adapting, they don't believe that they could ever be wrong. I think I think VCs have a lot of responsibility here and you know, I, I go into a lot of these sort of, you know, Collaborative spaces, as low they're everywhere now, as we know. And I was uh, one of the startups I was working with in the prop text had moved out of their baby incubator into a much bigger space. Mm-hmm. They just got another round of funding, and they were in a bigger space in London Bridge, and they're trying to rapidly expand. And you walked through there, and none of the startups were in there. And there was always sort of these chairs and these Macs, you know, and no one was in. And it looked like a, a, a factory. It looked like it looked like a, a weird factory, millennial factory. And I have this, I'm quite passionate about this, that, that a lot of the game is being, and there's, there's one big ex-Facebook, um, uh, one of the original partners there, who talks about this much better than I do, but the, the, this, the really what you're doing is deploy, as a VC is you're deploying capital very cheaply across in these spaces, across millennials who will sit there all day long thinking that they're acquiring an asset or learning a skill. But really what's going on is they're just, VCs are spread betting. And and when they when they pick when something emerges, they don't really know up front. They don't look in the same way as we do back into the into the journey of the person. So what what to answer your question, I'm saying is is that I think what you're seeing in the market and why people get dogmatic and myopic is a lot of these founders have never run a business. They probably never not been employed. Sure. They probably don't have a lot of life experience. What they have gone is gone into a VC or a, you know a, a, with a deck, done something impressive, and the VCs thought. We can. We have to. They, you know, they've got a remit to chuck X million into into you know Y amount of startups, and then you just get that money. And so you sit your the people that you're in front of are, are, aren't even groomed to think well, like that. Well, that's true. I mean, there's a. I get to meet um, quite a number of sort of 23 year old serial entrepreneurs. Right. You know, um, which in itself is perhaps a bit of a joke, but what they well, know this is that they've actually worked out the first time how to raise money. Yeah. They've gone away and raised more money, yeah. um, but it doesn't mean they've ever produced anything. Or in fact, they've learnt that there is a, 
effectively a business in just creating business ideas. Yeah. Um, creating a debt, getting money for it, and moving on to the next one. Um, where I feel concerned and where I see the value in you know a service like you know Propelia um, is for those businesses that are actually really serious about wanting Agreed. to actually succeed, wanting to make a difference. Agreed. I think it's 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 like the it's like the sort of elephant in the room that the, the the hybrid elephant rhino in the room is that the most of these people aren't that good, and the interesting thing about the work that we do is I know they're not that good within sixty minutes, because I imagine <laughs> yeah there's some generally because if someone hasn't got that that journey where they're consistently been risking they've been curious and they've and they've constant you can see that. What are they doing? All they're doing is is opportunistic. All they're doing is they've had an idea down the pub, and they and they've worked, like you said, they know somewhere they can raise some money off. And there's a lot of money out there for that for that kind of stuff. And you know, and I do feel quite passionate. It's a different conversation that a lot of millennials are going to wake up at thirty, early to have nothing. There's another wave of bright young things behind them filling those chairs, and they have nothing. They have no assets. They have no real skills. Nothing. And that's why I think this is part of a broader conversation where a new kind of awareness needs to creep in, new kinds of skills, new kinds of outlooks, new kinds of approaches. And yes, I'd like Propelia to be part of it, but I do think the international, let's say that let's start with this new product, this airspace product, we do 10 in the next 12 months. I can see how two or three would be, international expansion would be absolutely fundamental that they consider and implement. I don't think it's right for everyone, but I think you're looking at those kinds of ratios, maybe 20, 30% of the startups that, that start to behave like scale-ups should be thinking in that way. And like you said, they should be thinking it, 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 not in, oh, we are now have, now have an office in Madrid, or but in a much more intelligent way. Right. And there's a huge... There's a huge um, I think opportunity there, because if you're in that scale-up moment and you suddenly think, wow, we need this skill set, and someone can go, well, that skill set's waiting for you in Poland or wherever, and you can plug into that immediately, or we need this technology, or did you know someone's developed that? That, that has to be part of that mix, otherwise how are you right. going to survive? You know, otherwise, so I, I, I really see that as a, you know, me picking the phone up to you and saying, look, someone's really interested in this, how do we do that? And you being one of those propellers sitting around and going, well, have you thought of this? Have you thought about that? Have you? Because if that's not in the mix, I, I don't, it just, it does, the, more, the more that you think about it, and even in this conversation, it seems strange. And, I, and I, it seems strange because I can't think of a single conversation where it's come up properly as an intelligent conversation. And that's having worked with 70-odd startups and being really at the coalface of these. I can't think of a single time where someone's turned around and said, we need to strategically leverage this international opportunity for X to achieve X, yeah, which is they amazing. Should. They definitely should yeah. at the right time. Yeah. So, Let's yeah. talk a bit about airspace um, because you mentioned it a few times. Yeah. And also propellers. Yeah. And that uh, the propellers in this case are, you know, the the individuals who are bringing the ideas, the concepts, whatever, before yeah. I actually say the wrong thing. Tell us about propellers. Well, you know how everyone talks about influencers. There's loads yes. of, that's, that's in every, and everyone's, you know, you can be a YouTube star and be an influencer, which that's a thing, but. So the, you have the Kardashians down as your propellers, do you? No, well, <laughs> the interesting thing about, well, it's an interesting question like that, even that, it, that in some instances, yes, because a propeller, you can't say, I'm a propeller. I don't think you could say that. 
However, let's just tell yourself, you can't sort of walk around saying, even though you're an expert in this space, but if a client, if a, if a, if a startup has a need to use your in particular in, uh, insight, and at that moment, you are the most relevant person with that skill on the edge of that sector, with you become that person's propeller. You may only be it for a month, you may be it for a, uh, longer, but it's a different way of leveraging insight and, and, and intelligence. And so a propeller is someone that is, 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 is this airspace product is basically saying to, right, if you're in this position where you know you need to scale up for whatever reason, let's really examine why initially. Let's really understand what are the kind of runways out of that that, that, you, that, that are driving that. Mm -hmm. Once we understand that, we can then assemble a team of propellers. We can go out into the market and find, let's say, 20 of them from all different skill sets. You want a diverse, there's this whole thing about neurodiversity. You want a diverse mix, some probably in your space, but equally you want a diverse, you know, there might be a beekeeper from Hungary that, that, is, that is really relevant. <laughs> Very good. Um, and then the client we're saying should select eight of them. So you get this kind of team. Okay. And then the, the final stage of that is to assemble that team of eight, probably one to two days, depending on budget. And you surround the client with that. Imagine that like a propeller around the, around the And the client and their team have to then pitch back to the propellers all their assumptions, all, all their aspirations, what they think they have to look, how it, and the propellers are really providing that kind of balance to say, that's interesting, you should green like that, that should be red stopped right away, you should accelerate that. So they're providing that intelligence in a very rapid way that's, that the, the, you, the, the company wouldn't necessarily have from within themselves. So ideally it would capture this problem you're talking about where if there was something outside, you would find it because these guys would tell you about it and, and rapidly you would suddenly know. So the idea is that that assembles and then it dissipates and, you could, and then the client could continue to work with those propellers if they want to, but it's, it's offering that rapid so solution. A quick hit of yeah. surrounding yourself with, maybe you could call them mentors who are subject matter, proactive mentors who are subject yeah. matter experts. Non-exec board, you know, like, a, like a mentors, but, but it's supercharged. Propelio would find them, Propelio would engage them, Propelio would put them on the day rate. So you can't have to worry about that. All you have to worry is that you turn up and you pitch back to them. You really know what you want to test because it's almost like a, a reverse TED where the client is standing in the middle or a dragon's stand. The propellers become almost like the dragons around the client that they have to then pitch back. And it's the idea is if, you, if your ideas don't hold water over a day or two days, well, what are you doing? What, what, there's no, probably nothing there. But equally, you might come out going, we have to move faster or we weren't aware of this or we need to acquire this or we need to grow the team or we just shrink the team or right. all of those things that are very hard to do with from within the company that we think the, the, the startups that make it and get to that point will have a real appetite for and, and, and they need to, they need, they can't do that within themselves. The VC can't do that. But everybody who's around that startup at that point who wants it to scale up has a vested interest in it finding that solution. And that's the, new, the, the bigger product. Right. And you said something about, so this is a, a quick process. Yeah. Um, and I guess everybody in business who need accepts the need that they need to change wants to affect something very quickly yeah how, how how involved and how long a process is it i would like to be able to offer it within a quarter so i think if you're looking at something at you at board level found founders of in the board level uh, around them have gone 
we've got we've got to do something. We, we're at that inflection point. They can't. We can't invent that inflection point like we can't with the founder invent the journey. They have to have got to that. So we want to offer them that within a quarter, so they can go. Okay, we, we, if we did put invest in this, then within a quarter we will have got that insight, that clarity. We will know what we want, how we want to go forward. And I think we can do it quicker than that. But I think strategically, you could put that on the board and say, this is what we're going to engage in this and they're going to stress test it and look at all aspects of this and we're going to come out strong. I'd like to be able to do it within eight to 10 weeks. But I think I think if you pitched it to a, came in and pitched to a board and said, look, this is what we, you're here, we can get you to here. It has to be, and I think we, with the way we're going to price it as a percentage of their launch budget or R&D, you know, whatever the budget is that they're putting towards the scaling up, I think taking... Uh, I think about about two to three percent or something around that would be reasonable to kind of grab okay, that so budget. It, it, it's going to be affordable, but it's going to still be a, a substantial amount. Is yeah. there a sort of um, to get them as far to get anybody as far as a real decision to go ahead? What's the first steps? Presumably, there's like sort of um, a relatively low cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a as a, as a first phase is there's a free kind of check-in just to see if they're serious, see if it's ready. We do this now with founders as well. And then the first stage would be, you know, one to two days, uh, a couple of afternoons, just simply trying to nail what aspects, what dynamics of that scale are relevant. Is it international expansion? What does that mean? Is it growth of team? Is it multiple of revenue? Is it uh, percentage of market share? What are the things that are meaningful to everyone? That's the first stage. Then the second stage is then the identification of the propellers going out. So we're propeller is very credible as we've lived in this space. So we, they, when we go out and talk to them, they recognize that we're essentially experts in this. Mm-hmm. So we go out, find those. I would imagine that takes a couple of weeks to present tw- 20 back, find them bespoke. Um, and then they would select eight that would assemble. Then the next, the final stage is that eight assembling on site, depending on budget, one to two days. And then we're done. And then we're offering them a black box tool where all of the insights captured as a final tool. So they've got, actually got all the insight that they're looking at that they can then kind of take into meetings to, to inform their decisions. So, yeah. And I look, sounds, sorry. Sorry, no, that sounds sort of really interesting. I'm guessing that uh, I, this should appeal not only directly to founders who might actually take some convincing that they um, need to actually... Um, yeah. think of new changes, but uh, to big investors, VCs, big angel investors, exactly. who uh, might want to encourage um, you know, the businesses that they're investing in to look at these things from the viewpoint for them of it protecting and growing their investment, um, it, it, particularly exactly, when we talk about exactly. how many failures there are. It, exactly. I mean, and I think that's exactly right. If you're an investor... And you, like I say, you're this, you know when your winners start to emerge. Um, so I'm talking to someone tomorrow who's who's uh, making was involved in Crowdcube, one of the key people who's trying to make it their business to kind of interface with angel networks, right. and to do exactly this because you're an angel investor. This is when you want to do something, right? As a group of you, if you're going to chuck in another 50k, but there's this potential, this could suddenly become a 10, 20, 30 million pound business. Why? That's it's almost riskier not to do it because you've spread your risk over all these sort of things that aren't going to work. That's exactly where I see the funding for this coming from. Is that the, the, the founder has to have a passion for that scale up, but the people around it are saying, we should look at it. We need to look at it. Even if we decide to do nothing, at least we've looked at it. So it almost becomes some kind of insurance against not looking at it or 
or, or, or you know, so exactly as exa exactly where I see it. Yeah, but it must be good. Must be a good opportunity also for founders looking for sort of second round investments and so forth to say, look, we've actually done this process. Exactly. We've already, you know, the, our, our new deck is actually based on, you know, the changes, the improvements, the new direction we're going to take as a result of going through this process. Yeah, and to that point, I met someone um, I think you'd be interested in. Um, I was introduced to so there's, there's new companies that are valuing IP of startups that are pre-revenue, oh, really? that are able to value and, and put on the balance sheet or, or, or in the investor deck, this is the value of, of, of the IP. And to your point, they were saying, if you've done this, the value of that IP should absolutely be higher. So it almost pays for itself. So I think, I think absolutely, if, you're, this, if you've done this and you've essentially gone, well, we've gone out to some of the world's experts and we put ourselves through, it has to, be, has to feel more secure. It has to feel like a smart move. You know, it has to feel like something. You, that's that's the assumption that it feels like, you know, well, that's great compared to if your aim being a business. And ideally, where I want to get related to places where we're turning things down, where it's like was well, not interesting enough. We don't want it. We're only putting the right things through this. In the same way as like the right founders start to emerge from the other product, the goal would be that that, that we're actually you know we want to work with this business because there's something really exciting there. Right. And I think there would be some. I think that's important that you, everyone feels excited. It's not just a tactical thing. Everyone's got this could be great. We could actually get this to here really quickly. It could be great. I want it to be that. You know, I don't want it just to be kind of a, like a, a due diligence exercise. I think it can be that initially, but I, I, I do think. I, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree that, that it's, it could be valuable for funding. Daniel, your passion for uh, helping um, helping others. You know, find the directions they need uh, for future business through Propelio sort of shines through everything you. you say. Um, people who uh, um, want to get in touch with you as a result of listening to this can find your details actually on the webpage on www.growexpansion.org um, where you'll find supporting article and more information and links to enable you, anyone who's interested to find out more about Propelia. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos and podcasts and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think. Mm -hmm.